This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Field Notes brand. USA made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May. I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I am your host, Mary Beth Smith. And uh, despite what you just heard from Lizzo in the intro music, as I speak, I am not feeling good as hell. Uh, it is uh, the day after Election Day. Um, Bill Green, my guest for today's podcast, and I spoke almost exactly two years ago um, after the midterm elections about his passion for politics and uh, how it had shaped his life. And um, it was so... Uh, impassioned and uh, uh, just so great and such a joy to share with him that uh, we had kept, you know, in touch about what he was doing along the way. Um, uh, that day, two years ago, we uh, he was lamenting the election of Bruce Rauner uh, as Illinois governor and uh, does a little bit more of that today. <laughs> uh and uh, because Bruce Rauner's election had such an immediate effect on Bill's life and his job, and so much so that he decided to uh, go to grad school, uh, or excuse me, law school, uh, uh, to try to affect policy. Um, it was a very difficult decision made even more difficult by uh, what has transpired uh, what follows is certainly a biased conversation, as we point out many times. It is certainly mostly just two people trying to unpack the reality of a Trump presidency and of a country that elected uh, uh, that into reality. Um it is so raw. We met at, uh, I think I was awake at close to 2 a.m. last night um, as the, the final push happened and the race was called uh, and woke up this morning at about 7.30 to meet Bill. So uh, excuse our bleariness. Um, if this is something that you're listening to uh, well past this and don't really want to relive this day, I, I can't blame you, but um, something that Bill said this morning on Facebook and repeated to me uh, during the recording is that we should not forget how we feel today. Um, I think on either side, uh, I think we should remember how this felt and how divisive everything feels and how uh hurt a lot of people feel and sad uh on both sides for people to have felt hurt and sad enough that they had to make this decision is not something that we can take lightly anymore um as a country so that's that i suppose i will keep plugs brief not this weekend, but next weekend is the Chicago Podcast Festival. I will be a part of that. My guest is to be announced. I lost my previously scheduled guest, Dave Pasquese, to a scheduling conflict. 
but you can still see a live show with, I'm sure, a fabulous guest at uh, 2 p.m. on Saturday the 19th at Steppenwolf 1700 Theater. Uh, tickets are available at Chicago Podcast festival.org you can also see all the other awesome shows that will be a part of that please check out the probe podcast we also have an episode dropping today our whole thing has been about this student body presidential election and it's weird and complicating and sometimes comforting to think about where our show has landed the fictional world that we created with young people uh, and I think it's all that we know how to contribute as creative people. Uh, should we be doing more? Yes, probably. Is that my pervading guilt today? Yes, probably. Uh, but for a moment, uh, I, I do think it, it has a hopeful ending that we actually <laughs> planned out last night, uh, without any... Well, we had it planned. We just finalized everything last night, got the last stitches into the can. And, uh, yeah, yeah. When you're doing something creative, you get to decide how what the end looks like. Um, and I, I don't think that can go unthought about. Uh, I think we still get to decide what the end looks like. My guest today is Bill Green. And we are having a different conversation than we thought we might be having this morning, but we decided to soldier on. Uh, it's uh, We're recording this on November 9th, and it'll be released later today, so maybe our musings will help other people unpack their own thoughts and feelings uh, on this uh, post-election day. I can only hope, pray... <laughs> yeah (laughs) yeah me too um i think it's best to just uh soldier on and have this conversation because uh what were we going to do but unpack the election and this is just kind of how it panned out yeah um and i was so sure (laughs) yeah yeah like part of my shame is my utter certainty as of like 12 yeah about 12 hours ago (laughs) i totally agree with you Uh, that that really sums up a big portion of how i'm feeling is that i was so sure i really don't think i was nervous and i was anxious for months you know off and on but i really don't think i ever accepted the reality of this being how the presidential election fell (laughs) and oh my god it's like it's so hard to even think about where we've gotten. And I mean, like the only, the only thing I'm sure you're the same. The only thing I've had to really go off of is watching the coverage last night and reading some of the maps this morning and on social media. And I mean, the the universal reaction is like everyone's shocked. Yeah. Totally valid. Everyone is disappointed. Totally valid. And everyone is shamed, totally valid. And uh, I mean, for me, it's it's so it's so utterly disappointing. I know we talked about this a little bit before, but like, just like so afraid for the act. Like, unless Donald Trump was lying, yeah, <laughs> the real consequences for people that are very near and dear to me is not very good. 
and um, just grappling with that. I think like, that, yeah, that absolutely adds to my own, you know, shame and disappointment and fear of of it all is like uh, Ryan Ben, a dear friend of both of ours, said it pretty well at some point uh, between last night and right now. Uh, he said uh, we voted for ourselves instead of one another. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of, of truth to that in terms of uh, empathy and, uh, uh, you know, the way the chips fell. Yeah, and I, I, uh, he's totally right. And I think it's it's a generational difference. Um, uh, so yesterday I, I posted this picture of me wearing a nasty woman shirt. Mm-hmm. And immediately after I posted that, one of my aunts, po- who I'm almost certain voted for Trump, posted um like whatever happened to people not talking about who they voted for and like whatever happened for people like not not talking about it um what happened to people like keeping that a secret and i mean i remember what i was taught in grammar school is that that's what you should do and that's actually something that changed with obama i think is that with social media people got more active and talking about their actual viewpoints. That's interesting. Um, and, but the older generation is not, that's Used not how that. they are. Yeah. And the, the, I think that also has to be compounded by there being an element of shame to voting yeah. for Donald Trump. Yeah. 100%. And like, that's the, the people that have, have messaged me like, or post on Facebook or what have you for Donald Trump, like largely silent before. Yeah. And, I think that that's actually something that Donald Trump was totally right about is that like people that voted for him have felt, have felt shame and this is their opportunity to express themselves in a very, I mean, I would call it a a negative way. Um, but the lack of empathy for someone else and voting for yourself, I mean, typically voting for a Republican is voting for someone that is, uh, Pro business, pro economic, pro, like making the economic argument over making the the, the personal liberty liberty argument or, or social sure social change argument. Yeah. Um. But this is like to- this is a little bit more extreme, where you're you're saying I am totally willing with all of the evidence on the table. I'm totally willing to vote for that in spite of the well-being of friends, family. Um, that may or may not look like me. And it's really, that's the disappointing thing for me, I think. I think so too. And I think my biggest question from that perspective is like, what makes, what about our country is making these people feel like it so badly needs to be changed? Like what about these uh, Trump supporters lives is so like, devastating that they feel like this is the that you know turning washington upside down uh is what washington needs is what the country needs i think there's a lot of different reasons i am you always and this is part of the process of trying to pick up the pieces and work towards having act, like things not go terribly in the next couple of years is that like 
I think the first thing, and this is the hardest thing I think that's going to be for a lot of us is that like, we need to try to put ourselves in their shoes and say like, okay, I don't agree with this. (laughs) I don't agree with your view of the world, but like what makes you feel that way? And a lot of it has to do with, I mean, just looking at some of the maps up on the New York times, like the major points where Trump gained are in the Midwest where there were these for, these industri- big industries and jobs that people could rely on before. And those are not the same. They're not the same. It's not the same place. And there, those opportunities aren't the same. I mean, even so my dad worked for Nabisco on the South side of Chicago for a very long time. That factory, he's retired now, so it doesn't really impact him directly, but that, that factory is moving most of its employment to Mexico. And that is, that was Trump's main message. A lot of that stuff over the last, a lot of places like that over the last 20, even as far back as 30 years, they've been closing. I mean, that's probably why Hillary Clinton lost and lost in like Ohio, a bit lost big in Ohio. She lost by like 12 points in Ohio. Um, Pennsylvania. Is, yeah. In Pennsylvania like that, like that experience is valid and it's hard and it's not really about fault of whose fault it is right now. It's that like their experience is valid. Yeah. I feel like that's something that I really, I, I definitely wrestled with during the campaign process and, and tried to be mindful of, uh, and part of what made it so hard was just, was empathy to the people who he spoke against, you know, like it just feels like so much of his message was divisive and it, and it, I mean, we were talking about this before too, that you watched his acceptance speech. Uh, I have not. Um, but something he said was that like Hillary wasn't all bad and like, uh, I mean, you could speak to it more than I can, but that's so counter to everything that's been in the campaign process. So I can't imagine, I mean, I feel like it's going to take a lot of talk and a lot of work to get those supporters, to get those people who felt marginalized enough to vote along these lines to feel anything differently at this point. I mean, my question for Donald Trump is like, was it all a show? Yeah. <laughs> like his his acceptance speech was was literally the exact opposite of everything that he has said for nearly two years. And what happens when so he they they won the House or they kept the House and the Senate. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going to vote in a Supreme Court justice that is far more conservative than or conservative leaning than the current option. Merrick Garland is a pretty centri- centrist judge. Sure. Um, so they have all three branches of government, including the two houses. And the, and When's the, the last time that happened? 1929. Are you serious? Yeah. It, for Republicans. Inclu- oh, for Republicans. Yeah. When's the I last mean, time? In, to, in, in 2008 to all 2009. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know if that, I realized that 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 everything, um, including the the justices. Yeah, I mean, so there's an open, there's been this open seat 
that the the Republicans stalled, saying we're oh, not sure. going to even hear this. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, I mean, that but was a smart o- play by them. Uh, yeah, I mean, in 08, though, like that was the same. Like literally everything was Democratic in except like, for the the Supreme Court. Except for the Supreme Court. Okay, that's yeah. where I was coming from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. Like I mean, it was it. I. Th- mm. It seems like the Republicans delaying the choice to fill the seat uh, was something that people were angry about and did like vocalize anger about, but the presidential race seemed like so much more of a, I mean, as it, as it usually does, right. You know, that that's usually what commands so much of the focus that the other stuff kind of falls away. Uh, That was, and it was honestly like, I, I think, Personally, I think that not even having a hearing for a person that the president has has selected, I think that's a, a disgrace and an insult to the American people. But it turned out to be the smart move. I, I mean, it created so much publicity by the Republicans. It created so much publicity about that that it became, I mean, more so than like more so than an 08 or 12 or oh, even I didn't 04. Even think about like if there are people like really just voting ticket to try to get that oh god it's like such a long play it is and, and i mean fuck that's actually this i think the story of of the and it, as soon as he won or that the detroit free press called michigan for trump was when it was over i realized it was over and aside from like my my utter and complete disbelief I think the the first thing I would I thought was like of course this happened, and I and I'm I'm told I'm I'm a totally biased person. Everyone's completely biased, but for the for my entire life, the Republican Party's argument has been uh, one of defunding the government through lower taxes. Uh, the argument has been one of and this is something Donald Trump has argued against, one of increased intervention abroad. I mean, the George Bush's war on terror completely like sucked all of the money out of the country. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and for the last 10 years, 15 years, all like the major, a major portion of the Republican party that had rejected George Bush are, I think modern anarchists in a way where they go to Washington to not, accomplish anything and that's like the major goal god so like i mean that's your ted cruz's i was gonna say ted like, cruz like jeff sessions who's apparently gonna be a mate like one of trump's um one of trump's cabinet po- uh, yeah that Alabama. was gonna be my next question is like what does this cabinet even look like uh, i mean old white dudes yeah like <laughs> just by looks <laughs> are like well yeah sure sure uh, <laughs> i mean like the fucking like <laughs> like everything else trump celebration party but older oh my god it was so like i i felt uncomfortable at how much people you know were were pundits and stuff were reporting like how demographics voted but then like when you looked at when you looked at the people who were sad and the people who were celebrating, 
I'll be damned if it didn't look like a bunch of sad women and people of color and a bunch of celebrating white dudes. Like, yeah. I hate to say that. It, it is dominion, you know, it does totally, like, uh, it does the same thing that we're tra- trying to speak against, but... It's just, it, but, like, that, and I think, Mary Beth, that, like, nobody wants to say that. Yeah. And, like, nobody wants to identify along, like racial lines and i i and when i say nobody i mean white people yeah (laughs) like i I, and i'm guilty of this too like i don't want to i don't want to do that either but the reality is is that we're a multicultural society and race is just like it's such an important part of our identity and like I, i was listening to this podcast last week I th- I, I, it might have even been This American Life, and one of the speakers, no, it was Ted Radiar. One of the speakers was talking about how the this was the first time that there has been an attempt at a representative democracy that is um, focused on equality of religions and multicultural. This is the first time in, in history that has ever happened. And this was the test, and we failed the first test. Um, in attempting to like move forward with that. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a a major thing that like we have to be willing to talk about is that there are major differences. And last night it's, it's what made us simply like a laughing stock of the country of the, of the of the world, of the world. But like, instead of like, it's, there's a major opportunity to like use that as like a major strength. And I I came, I came to South Bend for school. Yeah, please. Uh, 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 I think we had been kind of like holding back on some <laughs> more more detailed election thoughts. We had kind of been slowly unpacking as I set up, but uh, that was kind of the first deluge of uh, of last night. But um, I would love for uh, in lieu of asking you like what the origin of your love for this is because like uh we have that already yeah um i would love for you to kind of like uh and i know we talked about this a little at the uh uh, anniversary earlier this year um but this is the two-year anniversary of you doing the show the first time yeah that's uh, right a lot has uh changed for you and a lot of it is so entwined with uh things that we talked about two years ago with uh you know what we've talked about so far now um so i'd love to just like pick your brain a little about what that looked like uh, uh yeah because the last time we talked we were in my living room and now yeah. we're skyping yeah. with you from and we South were Bend. So, and that was i was sad then <laughs> i know i know we were just oh, like man. commiserating over beers and yeah unpacking you know bruce ronner and the senate races and stuff like that like and now here we are here we are so um man that you know it seems like it was so long ago but like it seems so near too yeah i know i I know what you mean so uh for the listeners i guess so (laughs) bruce bruce ronner got elected two years ago to the governorship of of Illinois. And I was, um, I was being miserable because I felt like it would have a really negative impact on, on Illinois. And I worked for this nonprofit that did a lot of advocacy for, um, human services. 
and uh, that was a centerpiece of his campaign. If you cut funding, the, that's just a major target in, in Illinois is funding for human services. Um, part of my work was also um, helping people get signed up for Obamacare, um, which we signed up over 20,000 people in my time at United Way for health insurance which is something I'm really proud of and something that will likely, likely not. (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't even know what to think about that right now. I don't know Um, how many of those people will be able to keep their health here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that remind me to come back to that about when I get to South Bend. Okay. Um, so part of that led me to, um, the, the law, I think there, it's not unfair to say it has flaws, and so I felt like I wanted to make a difference. So I decided I'd make more of a difference. So I wanted to come to law school. Um, so you feel like you were mainly inspired by um, trying to reform healthcare or in general? In, in general, I mean, healthcare is a major issue. Right. Um, I know, and it, I know, like, you kind of swung from pre med to poli sci <laughs> at some yeah. point in there. Um, so I know that is kind of like always been the, the uh, an underlying part of it. Yeah. And it's, it's so important to me. It's, it, it's also very personal. Um, so that, that's what led me into politics in the first place. I know we talked about that. Um, mm-hmm. the, my experience in, in doing that work was that there are also so many other issues that impact people's lives. Like if you don't have a stable house, getting to the doctor doesn't really matter. Um, if your kids aren't eating good breakfast, they're not going to do well in school. They're not going to be healthy. Um, and all of these, all these things, I mean, they, they, they felt so big and I just didn't feel like I had the, the skills really to, to deal with it in a way that I, I truly wanted to. Um, and it was really, it was really important to me to, to, to get those skills and that background to try to help some of the more structural problems. I mean, like writing the legislation of Obamacare was very important. Um, and it's led to some major problems that have happened through the deals that were made when the law was passed. Right. So the insurance companies and such. Yeah. Um, insurance companies in Illinois and across the country, they've pulled out of the the markets. Um, in, in Illinois, there are so many issues with the timing of when rates are announced and like the way people can react to those and, the amount of subsidy that's put out because of it's not, it's definitely not collusion, but when you set certain prices, it's all pegged to there, there are these tiers, right? It's like bronze plans, silver plans, gold plans, Uh platinum plans or not. There's no more platinum, but Uh all the subsidies are, are pegged to the second lowest priced silver level plan. And the way that that is priced always happened right before this is how it would work out. It would always happen right before the exchanges would open because while there was like this open enrollment period, which is actually happening right now, everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's, I haven't re-enrolled yet, but I'm going to. You, you got time. Yeah. Um, but like that, that timing was set, but the time that insurers could set their rates was not. So they can change it at any time. 
Um, so they, it just so happened it would happen and we would get informed like right before the marketplace would open. Um, so that's just like one example of like the so way that legislation would is written. Give, so how, uh, what's the like fallout of that? Of that? Yeah. So, like, how... so we, as like people going out into the community to just like, just like in an election campaign, like you're going out to talk to people to mm-hmm. let like inform them of their rights and sure. like what's happening. Mm-hmm. So you're having individual conversations with people, people that really need, they need, insurance um they need it for themselves they need it for their kids their families they're like they need to help their grandparents whatever um and like we're the messengers to people that like don't have access to the information for whatever reason um a lot of the people that we would we would help uh english might not have been their first language sure um they work multiple jobs they frankly like the american people like that we would help like are people that are very busy. They don't have time to get into the weeds of healthcare. They just need insurance, right? So, yeah. But but we as the messengers like didn't have the ability to like at the start of the main period of helping people like to do that because of this. So like, gotcha. Like just the the way, and I mean, I saw this from the beginning of working on it. Like the way the legislation was written could always be better, and like I just felt like I I I was doing something about it, but I could do more if I came back to school. So that was like the main impetus for me coming back. And it was a really hard choice. I, I, I it, it was hard for sure. It's still hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, so in Illinois, so back to like after the last time that we talked, Illinois didn't have a budget for a full year. Yeah. Starting with Bruce Rauner's term. Yeah. It's unprecedented. Still don't have a full budget. This is now two and a half, almost two years later, or it is two years later. Um, And that really, like, that was the work I was doing, was advocating for a budget for a full year. Um, With the United um, Way? With the United Way. That became, Uh, like, your, that's what, like, more than get covered? Yeah, it was, well, no, no, it's, it was both. It was kind of like (laughs) when there were like, there were times when one workflow would go down and another would go up and we hired another person to, to help. And she is fantastic. She's still there doing the Obamacare work and, um, she's great. Her name is Ina. She's fantastic. Um, but like, yeah, so we were working on just, we did these surveys of human service agencies across the state uh-huh. um, starting in July of 2015. We only thought we were going to have to do one <laughs> because... Oh, I remember long... you talking about this a little bit um, the last time we talked. Yeah. And and that's like... So we nobody knew what was really happening or how it was like impacting people. You only people. thought you were going to do one, but you ended up doing... <sighs> Four. Oh, gosh. Once every three months. Just, oh, because like there still wasn't a budget. So you had to keep trying to figure it out. Yeah. And the problem was that, so like human service, and this is, this is another thing that's like, I I don't think that that, like you're the American voter understands that like when you pay taxes, you pay the government and the government is going to do services for you. So 
on the big level, they're going to deal with Russia. They're going to deal with all these wars, right? They're going to make these trade deals. They're going to trade. They're going to do all these things. But on the, the smaller level, they're going to fix your road. They're going to make sure the road is plowed. They're going to make sure that all of your, like, the food that we eat is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they're also going to provide the safety net for if things don't go well for you. Um, and that in, in Illinois and a lot of places that comes out through nonprofits and they contract the work out to nonprofits. So they say we need someone to provide, um, job training, uh, workforce programs, after school programs. Sure. Um, and the government isn't, doesn't have the workforce to do it. So they contract it out Yeah. in Illinois. The people that did that, that had signed contracts with the state weren't getting paid because there was no budget because of a political crisis. Um, that includes just, elder care. None of those people were getting paychecks. Yeah. A lot of them. Um, that's, and also, so that's what you were trying to figure out in the surveys was like where money should have been that it wasn't. And how big the impact was to like actual people. So by the time the fourth survey came around, we found out that, because like as a direct result of the impasse and there in Illinois, there's like 6 million people. And we didn't even get all the human service providers. We found out that a million people had lost services because of this political crisis. So that means a couple of things. I know. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to see the video, but Mary Beth just put her head <laughs> into the microphone. <laughs> I didn't know how else to respond. <laughs> so, but that's the thing like, and I didn't know what uh, I don't, so one for sixth, one sixth, one of the population of the entire population was immediately affected. Yeah. And for the first three surveys, we could hardly get any press at all. Like people don't care about it. And I think the reason for that, there's a stick, there's a stigma. Um, just like there was shame for people that were voting for Donald Trump. There's shame in getting help of any kind, and that's a major problem, I think. Um, wow, man. Yeah. Oh, that's, and it's like that is really sad. <laughs> that's so sad that we're too proud to admit that we need help. That that yeah. we're too like what? What is the government supposed to do but help us live our lives better? Yep. <laughs> and they and the argument against Hillary Clinton was that she hasn't. That was the main argument made by Donald Trump was that the government doesn't do that. So why should we pay them at all? Um, and it's it, it hit with people. Um, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I like. It's hard for me. And part of the reason I was I was kind of like looking forward to come to South Bend was that for the last four years and even even back in school, just living in Chicago, working for a nonprofit a and being a part of the the theater comedy community in Chicago um, is a bubble. Those are two very I, small bubbles. Yeah, my bubble burst sometime in the middle of the night last night. I think. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> that's how I feel. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, more than ever, I now know that I was in a bubble. Like, yeah. now more than ever. And, like, I think I could, you know, 
when I was being self-aware enough and like, like nationally conscious enough, I knew that. But I think I, it Last really night showed it. Yeah. And it's something that we have to, to grapple with. I think I, um, I mean like my, my dad voted for Donald Trump. Wow. And, um, we've talked about it. He felt very strongly about it. Um, in Illinois, in Illinois, I, I know. And I know a lot of people that have voted for Donald Trump and I mean, half the country did. Yeah. Well, half a little, of a third of the country, half one sixth, that yeah. same one sixth, huh? Yeah. So, and that's a lot in, in like, uh, I don't mean to joke about it, but that's a lot of people like, 60 million people voted for Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton's going to win the popular vote. The system sucks. But the reality is that only a third of the population voted. And there are a ton of reasons for that. And I think getting into the history of how this happened is going to be very important. And I really hope that like, like people read about this. And this is the first I saw this is the first presidential election without the like voter protection act is that right it's not it's in like 50 years or something like not the first but it's it's like across the country there's been a ton of voter suppression i mean the the districts are super gerrymandered too um and when the when the districts have been drawn they're drawn every 10 redrawn every 10 years every time it's been in republican control so like you're able to consolidate power that way um I mean, when I was working for Obama, I, I went to um, the midterm. It was in June of 2012, and there was a recall election in Wisconsin. And uh, we went up to organize for it. It was uh, recalling Scott Walker, who's still the governor. So right. spoiler spoiler alert, he, he it won. It didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we were we were poll watching. And this is this is something that Donald Trump in the closing stages kept arguing for. is like, go to the polls and watch. Right. Um, but people do that. We did that. Um, and if something was going wrong, we would call lawyers, which is also a major part of the law. I'm really, really interested in to, to come and provide injunctions and get people out that shouldn't have been there. So we went to Milwaukee and, um, I'm in this public library that's in, uh, a a highly African-American area in Milwaukee. And we're, we're sitting up there it's two floors. The voting is on the second floor. Um, this woman had come in to vote. They tell her, this isn't your, this isn't your polling place. Your polling place is a mile away. She's like, okay, I'm going to go. She walks there. She, her house is like around the corner. She walks to the other place. They say, no, no, no. Your polling place is definitely that library. And now she's wasted an hour of her day. Right. And like, it sucks, but she comes back to, to vote. And then they tell her again that it's not her polling place. So this is the third time that that's happened to her. She gets upset. We had gotten to this place at like six in the morning or something. Uh, A a Republican poll watcher had come, sees this woman uh, being upset with one of the the poll workers and immediately calls the police. Like right when they showed up. Yeah. (laughs) The police show up and they don't, the police aren't allowed to be just like solicitors. They're not allowed to enter a polling place unless there's some type of, like problem, like violent, like a crime happening. Yeah. Right. 
Um, I think you might have told me the story the first time we did the show. Did I? I think so. Uh, but that's okay. okay. It bears repeating. Okay. But it's very, it's very, it's important. I think. No, so it like, is. It is. It is. That's why I let you keep telling it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the long story short is that the police come and they're questioning this woman inside of the polling place, and we're watching people from the second floor just like walk up and like walk away. Because the police. Because are there. the police are there, and it's not worth it. Because I mean, we've seen over the last couple of years, like being black in america and around the police is not like advisable yeah <laughs> like and it, it's such a tragedy and like i i i can't begin to even think about like how and as a white as a straight white male like i'm in an incredible place of privilege to like even think that like I, I was having regret of like, could I have done more to help? And of course we all could have like, yeah, that's like all I've thought about is like, I just feel so bad cause I feel like I didn't do enough. Yeah. But the reality is, is that we all haven't done enough for a very long time and made the, the important conversations about these things in a factual way, like important. And I was kind of disappointed this morning to to look on Facebook and see so many jokes about what happened. Yeah, and, I haven't seen that much. I've seen a lot of sadness, honestly. Bro, like, I, I didn't look very long, but... It's been a split for me. Really? And it, it a lot of them were white males. Like, Oh, that and doesn't I, surprise me. And right? And like, yeah. again, we don't want to talk about it yeah, because like, I guess I a lot. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, yeah, not not to shame anyone, but to like hold people accountable for like like their thoughts. Like one of my my good good friends posted about like who was gay. Posted like I hope you understand that like this really impacts me, and like you should not like if you voted for Donald Trump, like defriend me basically, which I've seen a lot. Me too. And like somebody was like oh, well, my vote had nothing to do with you. The problem is that all of this is connected. Yeah, I yeah. I, the, I was just telling someone yesterday, and, and now it feels uh, even more trenchant. Uh, I saw a, uh, a, 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 f- a family friend, I guess I could say, uh, accurately and... Um, a bit more anonymously than uh, I would care to uh, put anyone on blast in this moment. Uh, I believe it was after the Access Hollywood tapes came out um, because I think that was when people became the loudest uh, on one side or the other. Um, And uh, this, you know, uh, it was a younger woman, uh, like college-educated um, and she said something to the effect of just because I support Donald Trump does not mean I am, you know, racist, sexist, homophobic, this laundry list, xenophobic, et cetera, et cetera. It just means that I support where he stands on some policies, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But I was, I was 
I was gobsmacked. I was like, what? Like this person that I basically grew up with can truly think that this is a logical statement? Like that that you can disconnect those things? Really? Like I I I knew people had had defended their their vote with things like that. You know, I mean, you're saying it like that that someone had the gall to say my vote had nothing to do with you. It's just so. It's like the opposite end of the spectrum of like people saying like, I didn't vote because my vote doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it's like, Oh, I voted because like my vote doesn't matter and actually impact us. So I voted just like how I feel. And it's like, that's, I don't think that's legitimate either. I, uh, it, it, it's hard for me to understand, and I, it, and it's coming from a place of bias too. Like it's it's yeah, hard for me to understand. Obviously, that. all of this is is colored. I mean, I think our first conversation was was colored pretty left as well. But it's like those that's just the people that we are. Like we're not going to yeah. be able to have a conversation that's not colored by that. Um, but for me, it's like in my head I was just going like, well, like what legislation would Donald Trump pass that like would threaten the LGBT community? And then like, I remembered that Mike fucking Pence is the vice president. And then it just like, it just makes everything worse. You know, anyway, I tried to split it anyway. I'm like, well, there's no way he goes four years in office without like being impeached. Well, but then, you know, who would be our president? Mike fucking Pence. Mike Pence, which is worse. (laughs) Mike Pence, who looks like a Ninja Turtle in retirement. Like, like like his brain is trying to suck in all his facial facial features. Like there's just a black hole in his soul that's sucking all of his body into it you're the land of mike pence you are like what it's hard it's hard i mean i man i don't know i don't know if i should say this Uh you you (laughs) don't have to say anything well no no so uh, long story short there was a, a talk on Obamacare here that I went to. My school is typically. Is this the uh, you told me you wanted to like bookmark something yeah. for later? Is this it? So, one of the things that I have had a problem with in the Republican Party is that there's no like solution. Yeah. Like if you look if you look before the election at it, actually Trump's website actually got updated with some policy things about three weeks before the election happened um hillary clinton's website is loaded with like actual like i think like 30 policy stances and like the way that she's going to accomplish them sure um so with obamacare the answer is like okay let's repeal it and then we'll just figure it out blank blank (laughs) so there was a talk i went to um, a professor from my school who's a, is an adjunct, and then this woman who's the the CEO of a think or VP of a think tank that's um, very conservative um, gave this talk, and they talked about death panels in Obamacare, something that does not exist. Death panels. Death panel. You remember Sarah Palin talking about Obamacare death panels no. in two thousand eight? Uh uh-uh. uh It's this made up thing that does, didn't take place. 
and scared a lot of people about Obamacare that like there would be a panel of people basically deciding like who gets care and who does not. Oh my God. Um, so here we are <laughs> eight, we, eight years later talking about the same thing. And as though uh, it's a reality. Yeah. And the woman even said like, this doesn't exist right now, but if it did, it would be a disaster. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, I so I asked, why are we talking about it? Exactly. <laughs> So I asked the question and, and basically like for, for me, someone who used, who has a very serious pre-existing condition who used their entire insurance cap, lifetime insurance cap by the time by when I was a kid, if I were to get sick, what would you tell someone like me who without Obamacare and without employment with benefits, I wouldn't be able to afford insurance at all. Like, what would you tell someone like me? And the answer was, well, you probably shouldn't live very long. <gasps> the, this woman yes. told you that? No, 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 no. The professor from my university told me that. And, like, I think he was joking. However, it points to, like, the fact that there's not a solution and we're not actually empathizing with each other on these things. I can't believe he said that to you. I was very frustrated. <laughs> um. And you, you know what? Like, honestly, that's why, again, it's like why I think we all need to be like very woke and dedicated to like voting and remembering that this happened. That this is a very real thing that happened last this morning, early this morning, that in spite of all the facts, in spite of the fact that this man has no experience in government at all, the fact that he has continuously misled the american people that it's on us to do something about it and that really starts with caring for each other i think yeah. um in yeah. a very meaningful way and that just doesn't include you or me or our bubble but like that we really need to aggressively start to empathize with each other or else like it's like the the american experiment is coming down to this moment and like we can't duck that under the table we we have to like face it yeah for forward with like an open heart and an open mind and i i i really can't stress enough how currently the apathy and I, i'm i i don't know how millennials voted my assumption is that it's probably around 25 30 percent which is just not enough yeah i um, i didn't i only know that it was pretty low yeah the real the reality of the situation is that we're about to inherit a country that has had the resources sucked out of it by the generation that came before us and we need to aggressively fix it that generation was gifted a social security blanket and safety net by the 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 generation that came before them that fought in world war ii and they have refused to give us the same benefit of the doubt and we shouldn't be surprised by it um, we sh need to look at it like the challenge that it is, um, and, and try to find solutions for it. And, and I don't think that the solutions are in the current, like the people that are elected right now don't have those solutions at large. Like, yeah, I, that's how I, feel. I don't know. I definitely agree that I think one of the only silver linings I could find 
is that it has to pull people closer together. Like, it can't be... It can't be us versus them. Like, it has to be us. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and somehow, yeah, I mean, it just sucks. Like, because I can't fault anyone for not wanting to be empathetic when they constantly feel like their being and way of life is threatened. Yeah. And that and goes, and that applies to both sides. Yeah. That, that same sentence applies to both sides and I just don't know anymore what the like how that major fundamental problem gets fixed I don't know I, it's hard because it's, hard it's a, like the word threat is used and Donald Donald Trump used it too that like the feeling of threat that and that word has such a huge, it's such a, a deep, disturbing word to so many people. And it means different things to different people. And like, and not, not to go back to, to race, but like feeling threatened for me is an entirely different, different thing than Absolutely. A, a, a woman feeling threatened, uh, uh, an African-American man or woman being threatened, Hispanic woman or man being threatened, Latino, uh, any race has a different experience with that from their, their own hearts. I, but like for me, my, my experience, and I think the, the experience of a lot of people that have voted, that voted for Donald Trump is that the threat is, is an identity threat and the, the threat to their, their being is it's, less about and this is going to sound really bad it's less about the actual factual matter the the real world that currently exists where donald trump is saying that immigrants are threatening us but really net migration has been out of the country in the past couple of years um it's it's more visceral it's more visceral than or not not visceral. it's more what's feeling in in your heart than like an actual physical threat to you yeah. Um, and yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know necessarily how to feel about that. I, I, I can never say that I have felt, I think the only place I've ever felt really threatened is in Wrigleyville <laughs> after ah. a Cubs win. Ah. <laughs> like, been just like threatened by angry, drunk white like, dudes from the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah, I feel like I live a a relative, you know, privilege where that's concerned too. I uh, I don't know. Yeah. It I I know, I see exactly what you're saying, and it is really. I think I think there is an empathetic disconnect in terms of like how that feeling, that internal feeling of threat uh versus a an outward physical threat to one's life uh i feel it seems like there's a disconnect between what that internal threat is uh and what the alternative is you know what i mean like that's the uh there's there's a disconnect on to the threat of 
of of those you know minorities and uh when the rea- the and like here's the basic reality and why i think like like aggressively caring for each other is so important is that like we all really just want the same thing yeah like everyone just wants to have a decent life and like like have their kids have a better future than them yeah like everyone wants that there's not a single person that's like well, when I have kids, fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> like, I hope their lives like, suck. Like, I'm going to have a bunch of kids, and I really hope that their lives suck so that I can have the last laugh. Like, that nobody nobody says that or thinks that. Like, and it's, um, it's the fear of your neighbor that is hard for me, I think. That's hard for me to grapple with. Yeah, I agree. I, I always had really fantastic neighbors. <laughs> Like they were awesome. And uh, and when I found when they found out that I was working for President Obama, they were like, What can we do to stop this? But they were like genuinely still nice. Really? Yeah. A couple of them. That's really uh, funny. It's it was funny that it's but like, you know, like that's all people want. Like it's it's a way it's figuring out how to get there. I don't I don't think that Donald Trump will do that for us, but I, I was wrong, so wrong last night. Maybe maybe we're wrong. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe so. Maybe probably not. Something that good will come out of this. No. Uh, I guess there was something else I was gonna say about about empathy and um. I don't remember what it is at this. I mean, I've seen, I've already seen about like women saying that they're considering, um, like consulting with their uh, OBGYN to see if it's possible to like prematurely get a new IUD put in because they don't want to have to wait until it actually like ages out because they're afraid of not being able to get a new one. So like. <laughs> and can anyone blame them can anyone blame them and and no 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 and i would be doing the same thing like it's a very real fear i i like and i can't down down like emphasize this enough like the fears that we all woke up with are so real like this is a this is a person who like this is something that didn't get talked about like Beyond threatening to not let any Muslims in the country, beyond threatening to deport 8 million people and ruin 8 million families. It's not just deporting 8 million people. It's 8 million people with families and friends that like lives are impacted. Probably like 50 million people that are impacted if, if he goes through with it. But like his tax plan like and the markets crashed last night. I'm, I don't know if the markets have opened yet, but um, like – the way his tax plan is modeled by conservative estimates, it will eliminate $4.7 trillion from the economy. Just like sucking that money out of the economy. And like, that's a disaster for everyone. Like the, and the fears, especially like all of my female friends have, and I, I don't know if you have experience with this, but like, have gotten catcalled, assaulted, yelled at, and a lot of them have had a worse experience with that since Trump has 
been running. It's like an open door. Yeah. I mean, that's why people left one of the biggest stages in Chicago. Yeah. Is, is partially because audiences were feeling emboldened to say whatever they wanted. Um, you know, I know that's that's not the only reason, but it certainly was a pervading uh, factor. Um, yeah. And, I mean, last night uh, I saw... A, a friend of ours post on Facebook and say that she had, she like left the friends that she was watching election coverage with. Cause she like couldn't watch it anymore. And on her way home, uh, a, an Uber full of dudes pulled over and yelled, grab her pussy. Like oh my God. already like that. Like it, it made me feel sick. Like that, that, gonna, that yeah. like, I felt sick when I heard those words for the first time. When I watched that video, I felt so physically ill. Yeah. Because that was exactly what I was afraid of. Yeah. That that reality of someone feeling like they could say that because the fucking president said it. Yeah. Was sickening to me, and now it is a reality. So that like that has to be, you know, that is something that is going to be very hard for me to uh, 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 get out of my mind for that thought to leave my mind. And it's so sick. It's so sickening. Like I can't even, it's something I'll never know. And it's like, I have two older sisters. I have three nie. I have two nieces. And like, that's back to the the th- like threatened being threatened yeah. that's a physical threat that like emotionally destabilizes like not just the victim but like that person is sick that said that like and like it's a sickness that is pervasive and like the feeling like you can threaten someone that's okay and victimizing and someone someone that is victimized by that that's a continuous thing that now they have to live with like i'll never be afraid of walking home at night in chicago you know yeah like i've said all the time that like biking is like the only thing that keep not the only thing but it's a big thing that keeps me from like being afraid because yeah. the only time that anyone can ever interact with me is like when I'm stopped at an intersection and that yeah. shit happens. People will yeah. try to like, people will try to bother you when you're stopped in an intersection as a cyclist. Like, and I say people when I mean men <laughs> and, yeah. uh, like, read that as men. Yeah, like, or when I'm locking up my bike or unlocking my bike, I have yeah. been like, I have been sexually harassed in those moments like absolutely i've had a guy rub his penis on me as i was locking up my bike jesus because all i like like you know not bare flesh but like his fucking crotch was on my leg while i was locking up my bike like right across the street from the annoyance in broad fucking daylight and i just went inside and like didn't tell anyone it happened yeah like (laughs) and and it like And that that person was sick. Like I can tell you that from a firsthand perspective of interacting with this man. And like 
I don't, I haven't even like thought about that moment until now, like in a very long time. And it's because I was like, well, I'm safe because I ride my bike everywhere. But like the moment that I stop <laughs> and the yeah. mo- like the moments before I start, uh, that is still a reality in the life of a woman in this America, in this yeah. world. So like it is, and that happened, you know, years ago before when we had a president who couldn't have been more respectful of women and, um, you know, quite possibly married one of the best women of all time. God, <laughs> she's so amazing. Like number one woman, uh, Eight years Mary Beth, running. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't, uh, I didn't bring that up, um, no. for any reason than to, uh, just, um, uh, uh, help further help to like open, open people's eyes, I guess, even my own, like as much as I, uh, tell myself that I don't think I really battled the reality of like, um, sexism and like sexual harassment as much as a lot of women do uh i still fucking do <laughs> yeah every, I still and, like, fucking it's, do. The, it's the everyday experiences of that and like what what to the the people that voted for a lot of people not not the people many people <laughs> that voted for donald trump think that and this is back to the empathy point like that that reaction isn't like that your reaction isn't valid that you should just be tougher and like like disqualifying the everyday experience and the everyday threat to like to people like these are real like like the threat to real people and I don't think this is like it goes for women. It goes for minorities, like people from the su- like. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Like my family uh, is from the South Side forever, right? Mm-hmm. We moved when I was four years old, but like I, I lived about twenty mi- twenty miles away from where the house where I was born in. Um, that world was an entirely different world. Twenty miles away. Like, and even in living in Chicago and I can, I can speak to this so much. And like, this is something that is, is really pervasive across, in our community too. Um, the experience of people within Chicago, Chicago as a city as a city of neighborhoods is entirely different depending on what micro world you live in. Yeah. And, and it, it's so different and the like people don't reach out across neighborhoods. No. Um, there's a stigma, uh, of different parts of the city, um, that valid or not is, is hurting us. And I, I yeah. think it hurts yeah. all of us. I think I might've even mentioned this the first time we talked to, but I sometimes, uh, uh, in my, at my job is where I notice that the most is when people like trivialize the, uh, you know, North side versus the South side and like make casual jokes about it and like casual, you know, comments in a way that really like it, it, 
upsets me, but also like it frustrates me now that I've never done anything more than just grinned and bared it. Like, I to me that just seems like the next step is like we can't grin and bear it anymore. We have to vocalize these small moments like and not it's gonna be hard it's gonna be really fucking hard because it's gonna it's gonna feel like we're feeding the trolls every time you know and i don't think that this should be something that's more done online because that is what got us here like i don't think you should fucking pick apart every person online because that shit is exhausting and is. is not gonna fucking get us anywhere because look at where we are now this is where that got us this is where internet discourse and fucking yeah. Facebook rhetoric got us. My thing is, we just, we can't be silent in person anymore. Like, yeah. obviously, there are situations where you you got to pick your battles still. But, like, we just can't accept this casual, this casual talk about real life real life and that and i think it starts with like people that you like you care about exactly exactly and everyone talks about like the dinner table conversations in terms of politics and i think that that's like there's a there's dinner table politics and then people also say that like all politics is local like and i think that it starts in a hyper local way with like the people that you really truly care about and like that family, friends, neighbors, um, and talking about these things. I, 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 and that goes for a lot of things just beyond like beyond telling stories about the experiences of, uh, of people that aren't like you. Um, I think it goes to the way that you feel about just like random things and actually talking about the way that you feel about them. Um, I know I've had these conversations with my family and it's been very hard and it's led to distancing and I don't, I don't like it. I love my family. Um, That's so hard. I can't imagine. It's really hard. Not within my person, like my immediate family. Um, But it's, it's hard to hear people that you care about talk about deporting people that like they don't know yeah um that and actually that's not even true to talk about in mass saying like yeah we should get them all out but they know that your best friend is mexican yeah and like that's hard yeah um and and like having a conversation about like oh another kid was killed on the south side how man, these people don't care about each other. And it's like, that's someone's like son. Like I can't even imagine the grief that would happen to me if I found out like not, not even a son, right? Like everyone has a family not everyone, but like most people have a family in some sense or there's a close network of friends even like, even if it's someone that's like not closely related, say like a a fourth cousin that I haven't talked to in a long time. Like if I found out that they got 
shot and killed, I can't imagine the grief that I would feel. And to have that, have that happen and be the daily experience of, um, of people that you work with, um, and people that you see at the grocery store, people that you see on the street and to not know their experience. And then to talk about all these things, like, you know, the answer it's, it's hard. And I think that the, we've, we've lost sight of the fact that like, that's, that's a reality for a significant segment of the population. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people that, so Donald Trump talked, talked about Chicago a ton about how Chicago is in terrible shape and how I I was, I was always so like disgusted by it. And I just never, I never imagined it would matter. You know, like I never thought it would matter. So I just tried to tune it out. And, and this goes for both sides of the aisle. I, I, after 2012, the Republicans put out this autopsy report that said we need to do more outreach to Latinos and African-Americans and Democrats talk all the time of like, oh, well, we have a coalition that it has great outreach with minorities and all these different segments of the population. But like and Barack Obama's presidency was an amazing showing that like if you include a wide variety of people that aren't like you, anything is very possible. And to completely reject that is, is like astounding to me. Like, like I'm a much better person today because just like, I don't ever feel like I want to do that. (laughs) Like, like, and it might come off as pom- like pompous. I've been called pompous too many times to count. And I don't even know what to think about that. <laughs> but like, I, like one of the major things that I take away from my experience in Chicago is that like I learned how to listen from a variety of ways. I mean, everyone talks about yes and in comedy, sure. right? Right. And like listening is so important, but like, like really just like listening to someone and saying, wow, that was your experience. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Instead, we have a fucking president that is literally like, oh, I'm going to come in and fix all of your problems because I know the answers because I own property there. It's like, it's so jarring to like the opposite of the human experience forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know... Like, my life in Chicago has really, like, further opened my eyes. In in a lot of ways, in, in South Carolina, I, you know, obviously that if you look at what the voting record is for that area, I was, uh, you know, just little blue specks. Uh, uh, yeah. but, but, you know, I was in a bubble at school too. I was, I was in a, um, you know, more, a more liberal, uh, uh, bubble in the, in the theater community. Um, even though there were, you know, um, and, and our, 
uh, our friends and the the a, a, a lot of the uh, general public at the school had a lot of issues with the uh, uh, CSBT group that formed on campus slightly before my time there, uh, standing for Conservative Students for a Better Tomorrow. Uh, one of the things that CSBT did while I was a student was bring Ann Coulter to campus to speak. Uh, Just as an example of the kinds of things that they did that would spawn backlash from the student body, you know, and and like that microcosm was like all I had up to that point. Similarly, like when uh, I've told this story on the podcast before, for sure, maybe when I talked to you, but I know recently uh, Bush came to speak at a commencement uh, uh, when I was a sophomore or junior. Um, and uh sophomore i was a sophomore uh because when i was a junior was when obama got elected um and there was uproar you know like there were professors who didn't want him to speak on campus there were students who didn't want him to speak on campus there were people who were aghast that you know the campus could be anything but uh uh excited about having a, a president um speak um so it, it was it was interesting but that was like all i'd seen you know prior to yeah. moving here was like my small town that microcosm and then i moved into a you know divided chicago yeah. <laughs> but i i was in the 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 bubbly safe part of it for sure um and and part of being in that bubbly safe part has been the opportunity to listen like you said to to hear out more like thank god the comedy community has been trying to get more diverse because those voices are so important in my life like i i really try to listen because i know uh you know maybe like for better or worse i know that their like current experience i can relate to it you know what i mean like I, it's like you're saying, like, you will never be able to fathom certain things about, about people's experience. And, and I guess the, the only way I've known to, to try to combat that over the last few years, especially, uh, is to just try to listen. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, no. I didn't listen hard enough. <laughs> listen harder. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's that was always my favorite note. Uh, listen harder. Just you just gotta listen harder. I'm like, okay. Listen, listen, <laughs> bets. Uh. Uh. No, well, but you're total. You're totally like. You're totally right, and like. There's never been a conversation that I have had like. Apparently, I have this like crazy persona on the internet because I say all this crazy left wing propaganda shit on Facebook. But I, I can't think part type. of it is that it seems like you have a really diverse like friend group. Like something about the way that like I've been amazed at some of the political things that you've posted have gotten so much like discourse in response. Like your your Facebook doesn't seem like an echo chamber to me from the outside. And that has its good and bad. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. I... But, but like, the, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had a conversation with someone, like in real life, with someone that disagrees with me, that we both didn't leave 
saying like, wow, I actually would have never expected you to think that way. Right. You know? And like, I, I think that it's an, uh, a personal, like a personal problem that I have is that I have my own biases in the way, like I perceive people based off, off of how they hold themselves online too. Sure. Me too. Um, yeah. Right. It's hard not to. It's hard to separate, but uh, all these people want the same thing too. Like they want to have their voices heard. They want to be validated. All, all things on social media are in, in a sense of, of, a personal validation of what you feel. Um, but like having a real conversation with them, it brings back our humanity. And I've been trying to, to get better about dropping all of that disconnecting and like, like, uh, like living, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, good and bad. Yeah. Being stuck in a library all day has helped. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but, I'm sure. Like for you, but, it's this yeah. weird, like, uh, man. Yeah, I feel like the biggest difference between school and life is that, like, s- life can stop. You know what I mean? Like, you can you can leave work and go home and just decide that that's all you're going to do that day. (laughs) Like there's something to school that, that doesn't stop, you know? Oh man. And I, (laughs) it's real hard. Um, year one, right? Year one. I have my good friends, contract law and tort law here with me. Um, we're we're very good friends. We're we're pals. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I and coming to Notre Dame, I can tell you the amount of people that <laughs> my friend, one of my really good friends, one of my first roommates, my in Chicago, um, when I told him I was coming to Notre Dame, um, he was like, he shouted no at me for like a minute, <laughs> and then he said. Do I have to start calling you William now? Uh, <laughs> um, and it's funny. Last, so I have my diploma up from U of I, and my my full name is William George Green, uh, the whitest sounding name on earth. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you got and, like two the last two white president names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man! I should just add Donald. I'm surprised Donald wasn't my like uh, confirmation name. Yeah, right. Uh, Saint uh, Donald. Oh god, <laughs> that makes me so sad. Um, but I mean, the school is a reputation, and actually, this I think this is important to talk about too. So, the school is a reputation for being very conservative. Um, it's a Catholic school. That's a very heavy influence in the law school, less so. Um, but it's there. Uh, I think as is evidenced by the, uh, good old death panels chat. Yeah. Um, and it's gotten better over the last couple of years. I like, from what I understand and talking to some of the counselors in terms of like more differing viewpoints and a more diverse student population, it's still not very diverse. Yeah. Um, but the law profession is also not very diverse. So yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that's a whole other issue. It's a uh, it's a heap of white dudes from what I can see. I only work with defense lawyers, but man, it is like it is if I looked white. at the numbers of like the classes that we teach, it would probably be like ninety to ninety five percent white dudes. And it is. I my <laughs> my now chosen career path and my primary hobby are both filled <laughs> with tall white dudes from oh, the suburbs. No. William. Oh, jeez. Um, but uh, my first, uh, the first football game I went to here, uh, we the sections are mixed, so it's like freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and grad students, and then seniors. Okay. So like we're mixed in with juniors from the undergrads, and of me and a friend of mine, we're um, we're standing there like watching the game and these kids in front of us who were like pretty drunk were talking about how the football team needs to be better and how none of these guys would be anything if they didn't have football they would probably just go back to being poor and i was like oh my god this is completely unprovoked we won that game <laughs> it's like completely unprovoked racism that um, is awful. It was so disappointing and sickening. I had to like, I, I was, I was like, I can't even begin with this kid, with these kids. Um, so a couple weeks later is like, it was a couple weeks before the first debate and the school was going to ho- host it an outdoor or not, not outdoor in one of the big gyms, a watch party. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of my friends who's African American was like, Oh, like who's going to the watch party. And I'm like, Literally, if this was like unprovoked racism, I can't even begin to imagine like what would happen with like provoked racism. Yeah. Um, and it, it's been a very hard experience for me to kind of grapple with knowing um, that like, I mean, this is the first time my like political viewpoints are definitely in the minority, maybe not in the law school, but like in this town. Right. Yeah. Um. And that's fine, and it hasn't changed me. It's actually like almost made me bolder. Double down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like there's that Drake song. It's like I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, it, it honestly is just like like I posted on Facebook this morning again. Back to the internet. It's like I know like the one thing that I want people to take away from this is that like you should never forget how you felt about this. Yeah. And like, if it goes more so for people that didn't vote it, uh, for people that voted third party, like if you voted for Jill Stein, I'm sorry. She doesn't think that vaccinations work. That was the wrong thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like it goes more so for them of like, this is why you need to be serious about the whole process that means voting in the primaries where only 17% of the population voted. Like if you feel like Bernie Sanders would have won last night, I, nobody can say whether that's true or not. Right. Um, I voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary, so did but I. The, the reality of the matter is that he didn't win. Hillary Clinton won by millions of votes in the primary. And that's the way democracy works. She adopted his major platform of, student um like student aid and like higher college education like Mm -hmm. that's a win 
that's how democracy is supposed to work. Right. And like acting like just because your guy lost that like you can't fight for your issues within the party, I think is bankrupt. Yeah, I think that is the worst display of privilege that this election has seen. Yeah. Um, and I've heard people screaming it before the election, and now it seems like they're going to go hoarse. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah. I, I think that's really that's really the difference maker is that the the silent majority or the silent minority or whatever you want to fucking call it uh uh the fuckers in the middle states came out of the woodwork and voted for trump even though they hadn't been talking about it up to this point yeah all that they showed up and everybody who was being vocal about the fact that they were voting third party or or bernie or bus and all that shit is yeah. is the other side of that coin you know what i mean yeah. like that's yeah. the other side of the coin that's that's the difference i mean i still feel awful and sorry and like i could have and should have done more uh and i voted for hillary clinton and i tried to you know be an advocate for what i believed in in this election even though i don't think i like uh, the, the general you know online discussion of those kinds of things like it feels bad it feels like dirty right like it feels just, anonymous and dirty yeah. and gross and i didn't feel like i had anything to say that wasn't being said so i didn't say anything yeah and you know what like like you said talking talking shit online isn't gonna necessarily like you're definitely not gonna change anyone's mind um like and it's frankly not gonna matter like that might even be to something that depresses the vote and like pushes that person away from the ballot box. I think so too. Like, and I'm at fault for that too. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean that. I, no, I no, 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 no. Like, a, and it's just like in the moment, indictment. it feels like what you should do. Right. Yeah. Um, but like you don't, and this is another thing I'm trying to work on. I don't always need to be right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, nobody always needs to be right. The reality of all these issues is that every single one of them is gray. Yeah. I think like, that is the biggest, that has to be the biggest takeaway. It has yeah. to be. Is that like, we got to stop trying to uh, right and wrong, yes and no, everything. We have yeah. to actually be able to have subtle discussions. Yeah. And like, and to say, what, like, wow, there is a middle ground. Like, and it, it I don't know. That that being said, like two years from now, I hope people remember this. Yeah. Uh, this this feeling and that um, and the consequences of it. Like this morning, like, and I don't. So I don't have I don't have any kids. This morning, there's been a couple of articles of like, what do we tell the children? Right. Um. Growing up we were all taught, I think that like America is the greatest country on earth. Yeah. Right. We're right. They're wrong. Um, that all of these like world war two was a completely ball and ass time. And we just like we went over and kicked and some just, ass. Yeah, and it was like, blazing. it was all us and Korea was great. And Vietnam was justified, even though we lost. 
um, when the reality was that none of that was untrue, but it definitely wasn't the whole story. Um, and the same, the same thing about this election, like all of this stuff is like everything with politics is gray. Um, for the last 30 years, it's been painted as black and white, um, that there's Republican and Democrat, um, since Nixon, probably like I, they were like all of the, all the coverage last week is like, these are the maps for since LBJ, like he won LBJ won like every state. Really? Yeah. Like every single state. He, he lost like two states. I think, I think we lost like Georgia and Alabama. Wow. And so like that was that, that was then the maps slowly become more and more divided. Um, and that's because of this, like this baiting between the parties that like you have to be this person and you, or you have to be this person. Um, I was having this conversation with my friend last night that who, um, and I think this is a lot of the experience of people that are waking up this morning probably is like, how could this possibly happen? the reality of being a Republican or a Democrat for most people is not a matter of deep policy sophistication. It's not even knowing that like which policy impacts you. Um, it's more about like being a part of the party, like being like, and it goes for Democrats and it goes for Republicans that like, Oh, I'm a Democrat and I'm always going to vote this way, or I'm a Republican and I'm always going to vote this way. Um, it doesn't necessarily come down to like which issues you really care about. It's about winning. Um, and that's a major problem when you're only voting on one issue and that's the only issue that's important to you. That is one of the most selfish ways to approach politics. Like whether it's abortion, whether it's the economy whether it's gay rights, minority rights, white rights, whatever it is, voting on a single issue belittles the process. And it, I think it, it belittles the experience of, the, of uh, all of us that we all are very, um, we have sophisticated thoughts. We don't think about things as like, this is the most important thing of my life. Like, I don't imagine people that vote on like against abortion rights. I don't imagine them walking around being like, Oh, well, like nobody should have an abortion. That's all I think. No, they go to work. They do their job. They have families. They, they care about like, yeah. Um, and them only voting is, I I think a disservice to themselves too. Um, because there's more out there. I, I, yeah. So I have a, uh, a question to to maybe kind of uh, wrap this up. Um, I, be, I, uh, holy. I know it's 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 already pretty long, but that's okay. yeah. Sorry, uh, it's okay. It's okay. That's kind of oh, to be expected. Um, yeah. Which is why I've, I I know we could do this all day, and I think that this has uh, definitely helped me process a lot of stuff for better or worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel like? Uh, uh, I guess it's kind of like a twofold question, but it's almost like a threefold question. I want to ask you how you feel like 
we can move forward and try to um, create change. Uh, you know, obviously we've talked about trying to engage people uh, in a way that we haven't necessarily been felt like we wanted to or needed to before this um in 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 real life uh offline uh and i know that you've talked about some of the things that you feel emboldened to try to change uh through you know the process of uh going to law school so i guess i just kind of wanted to tie a, a ribbon on that and say like what do you what's what's our five-year plan or our four-year plan i guess as the case may be so this might counter my old point, my most previous point, but whatever. Um, so uh, a couple, I think it was like a couple weeks ago, uh, Alan Page, who is, uh, he was an All-American football player here. He uh, played for the Minnesota Vikings for a long time. He's a Hall of Fame football player, and mm-hmm. he was a Supreme Court justice in Minnesota. Oh, came, shit. Came to talk to us, and uh, I was in this small room with him, and there were like, 10 of us. And one of the first thing he said this a couple of times, but like the most important thing that you could ever do is to just show up. Um, the most simple form is voting, but I think to really make change showing up and making yourself heard is so incredibly important. Um, and it can be about whatever issue that you you care about most. I think that if people identify like something that like impacts them and the way that they want to make change about it, there's a piece of the government that probably operates in that arena that has regular hearings about an issue that you care about. Um, there are re- like in Chicago, there are resources in the city of Chicago website um, for hearings on a number of different things. Um, that you can go and ask questions of the people that are in power um, and, and talk to them in a, in a smaller setting about like what matters to you. That goes for state representatives, state senators, um, county officials, city officials, um, your local school boards, um, going and, and going and showing up and making your voice, our voice, I think as a generation heard. Um, because you know who shows up to those meetings? Old people. Old people. Like, and it's hard. Like, and part of the, part of the problem is that, pe- and it's not even old people, like people, people with privilege that have time. Yeah. Yeah. Time is the most valuable asset that anyone has. Yeah. And the reality of the situation for, um, people without means is that you have to work harder for every dollar, which means you're spending more time on that. People have families. That's totally real. Um, but like making time to make an issue that you care about important and showing up, um, on a regular basis, I think is the best way to like take a real action that makes a difference in your community. Um, yeah, I think that that's I think that's it. And like if you really care about this, and this is something I'm grappling with, I I never wanted to be a politician. <laughs> I think it's the worst job that that could you could possibly have, but like the last choice that I have now is like should, do I have to run? And like I think that that's something that we all have to think about is like you have to be involved in the way that you think is like most impactful. 
um, I'm going to regret not trying to work on this campaign for the rest of my life. Oh. <laughs> it's just the real. It's just the reality, and like, like I made this choice to come to school, um, to give up a really good job where I was making a really big impact, and like last night is the first night that I felt like I could, that might have been the wrong choice. Um, I'm praying to God that I'm wrong about that, you know, but like, um, I th- I think that you have to like, you have to act. And you have to make hard choices in a way like we're all going to work until we're 70 years old. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a long life that we're about to live here. Um, we're all going to work for a very long time. And the reality for, is I'm 26. This is going to hurt for a long time. But we're going to have another at bat here. Like, And we need to be ready to take it. We need to be better. Part of the Democrats' problem is that, like, our the bench is not deep. We ran Senate campaigns with bad candidates, except for Tammy Duckworth, who's amazing in Illinois. Yeah. Like, yeah, huge congrats to her. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I I imagined that we would talk more about like those kinds of elections, but it just kind of got trumped. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, baby, we got it in. <laughs> but like, no, like the reality is in in Indiana, the senator that was running. For on the Democrat side, when asked a question about where he lived, he couldn't remember his Indiana address. Oh, like, God. What it's an just embarrassment. Like, like, the bench is not deep in terms of, like, good people that want to make change, that, like, want to serve their country. Like, growing up, I wanted, like, there was a big part of me that wanted to join the Army. Yeah. And, like, I decided against it. Um, also, shout out to my dad, who has said over and over that if I ever joined the armed forces that he would murder me. So (laughs) shout out to him. But like, like public service is an incredibly valuable thing and it comes in a a variety of forms. Um, Caring for a charity you care about is important too. Like having conversation, hugging someone like today, (laughs) like, yeah, I have a feeling that's what my day interactions with anyone that you know i really know is i feel like even on my bike ride here this morning i felt like there was a bit of a solemn like atmosphere like uh that's that i for the record am so fucking proud of you i i know that you have to have i just like a lot of us have some internal battles going on about what coulda, woulda, shouldas, but you're playing the long game, man. Like, (laughs) that's, that's fucking admirable. And, uh, I don't, uh, man, I, I am definitely, it gives me hope to know that there are people like you who feel emboldened enough to try to, uh, make a difference from the inside as it were uh and i hope that is what continues to um you know drive you through your experience there and i know uh it's not gonna be easy no (laughs) but it is what it is and thanks mary beth yeah man it's a lot last night um right before uh to to turn it back to me a little uh right before the election got called um right before Wisconsin 
went to Trump. Uh, my boyfriend and I were, were trying to get some sleep. Uh, like I said before, <laughs> when yeah. I was just oh describing depression because we didn't know what else to do <laughs> and everything felt pointless. So we just were trying to go to sleep uh, like a depressed, like two depressed people would. We didn't. Those are the three, <laughs> what, three major indicators of depression. Yeah. Everything seemed terrible. I couldn't do anything about it. So I just decided to go to sleep and hope it would be better. Yeah. So uh, we just went to sleep. Uh, and that's probably where I would still be, to be honest. Uh, did we, were we not, uh, holding each other accountable? So, um, I'm actually very grateful for this, uh, uh, conversation with you. Um, and right, right before that, one of the last interactions that we had, uh, was, and maybe it was, it actually, it might've been this morning because I woke up at like I was still awake when the election got called, but Eric was already asleep. So we never really had a moment where it was like final. And uh, at like 4.30-ish this morning, I was awakened by Stephen Colbert's voice. (laughs) Oh, man. And he was watching Colbert's um, like uh, address uh, last night, which was also like before the election got called, but he was being realistic about it. Um, he's a treasure i watched it was, that this morning it was like oh my god it like i i remarked to eric like what poise like yeah. how what a gift like i i can't imagine being in his position and like he just like who it like i can see why eric wanted to watch it and uh so we finished watching it together and then he like kind of turned it off and we we exchanged a, a few more kind of sleepy words before we went back to sleep but uh, one of our last exchanges was, uh, how do we, I said to him, how do we even do comedy anymore? Because yeah, everything leading up to this feels trivial and bad. Like all of the election comedy feels bad. Uh, Sands may be the cold open to SNL last week. I think they did. Did you watch that? Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. And that is like the only... I think the only hope we have is like that moment of like, can we all just like pause and be together? Uh, yeah, no, um, like that <laughs> but, and like the Tom the Tom Hanks Black Jeopardy it was, sketch. It was amazing. Like it was so amazing. It was yeah. it was so trenchant and 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 is and definitely those two things feel like uh, a good guiding lights into the next era of you know comedy and uh politics and like interacting with people um but his response was uh after i said how do we do comedy anymore he said it's important it's more important now than it's ever been yeah and uh i i have i think i think he's right and it's probably very self-serving uh, to feel that way but I think he's right and I think that this just has to to further embolden us as uh, as artists and as activists in your case and uh, uh, as humans uh, sorry for getting so emotional no, um, like it has to be because like the response is like despotism yeah. you know like we can't become despondent by this like it has to be a call like a call to something i think better um 
one of the one of the things I, I I have been so happy to see over the last year in terms of comedy um, has really been the rejection of um, of people questioning uh, politically correct comedy, right? Yeah. Like people saying like, oh, like you just need to take a joke. It's like, no, like we all need to be better at this. Yeah, yeah. No, we just need to like, be better at telling jokes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like um, one, of, one of our friends, Mar- Mary Beth Cram, uh-huh. like literally from the first moment that like I started doing improv when she was my coach in college, like has always said like, if if it's and this is why she's one of my like best friends and I like respect her so much is that like always 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 says like no like you're better than that like if I even had an inkling of like a joke that was blue it's like no you don't have to do that like and and something that the comedy community has been so good about is and especially with the new the new push towards having a more diverse community is like like these voices like saying that being in like non-politically correct is like okay when the joke is shitty like yeah is not okay no like i don't think so either yeah it's like i still think there are probably people who disagree with that but i do think that the general tide is moving towards stop accepting racism just because you think the joke is good yeah and the perfect example i think of that is the Tom Hanks Black Jeopardy sketch. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like literally, literally, like, that's a that's a, a long joke about race that flipped the script on its head. Yeah, the out makes it work. The oh, out yeah. of that sketch is what makes it a good sketch. It's amazing. And it's amazing. And, like, like that, like, I've taken a break from writing just because school sucks. Yeah, I got but it. Like, yeah. But, like, the, the thing is, is that, like, we all need to be better. And, like, we, I think we can always be better, like, about that stuff and, like, uh-huh. look at a joke from, and, and, like, back to empathy. Like, look at a joke from the other side. Like, uh-huh. how will someone that's, like, completely opposite of me take this joke? Um, and, like, can I make it more appealing to everybody while still having it be utterly hilarious? Yeah. Um, like, I know what I like. Um, and people know what they like, right? right. But, like, really, if you want to be successful, you have to write for everybody, like yeah that that has certainly become very apparent (laughs) yeah Yeah. so it's like like and i i i think you're totally right i think it's more important now than ever and i i i am i'm so proud of you for thinking that and like uh, like you talked about i didn't think it (laughs) i had to be reminded of it (laughs) no 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 no. like 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 literally the question begs the answer yeah um and you talked about possibly moving to LA, like do that. I, uh, um, and I tell like Chelsea Renlund, one of my best friends moved to New York to, to manage the annoyance there. Right. Um, and like, yes, we're sad, um, to see our friends do these amazing things. I, 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 like so many of our friends are doing amazing things, yeah. um, in so many different ways. And it makes me so abundantly yeah. like proud. Yeah. I Um, first like sorry to interrupt but like one of the first things I thought about uh especially after like waking up to Colbert's voice was that you know 
our friend John Thibodeau works for him. Like he, yeah. he is a part of that team that is is producing that. And and Ariel Dumas, you know, these people who came through this, you know, this experience in a similar way, or at least in a tangential way, are are doing that and are you know like. <laughs> Their part. Oof. Oh man, didn't think about it like this. Uh we know people who were a part of teams who made those shows happen, who gave us comfort in the middle of the night after yeah. a long, scary, uh, unexpected night. Uh, uh, we we know people who are a part of helping people feel better. That's yeah. all I've ever wanted to do. And you know what, like they're heroes and like we can all be heroes if we believe in ourselves hell yeah dude hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh i think that's a really uh beautiful note to leave it on do you feel like yeah. you have any other thoughts that you might be remiss to leave out no all right man. thank you mary beth thank you i love you very much bill and i mean that i love you and i mean it thank you be well. <laughs> Baby, how you feeling? This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am GrabBot23548X.